0: Life Audio. Dr. Bill Singer here. Welcome to a very special Gospel Rant podcast and uh, live stream TV show. It's inspired by current events. Uh, I'm recovering from the flu. Apologize for the voice, but I wanted to get back in studio because I think this will make a difference, or at least stir some things up, open up some eyes, and it's timely. So I hope you're going to enjoy it, and get. A, I hope it gets a lot of dialogue going within the kingdom of Christ. And by the way, I'll say up front, it's very hard for me to talk about this, this topic because I am a diehard LSU Tiger fan. Go Tigers! But I'm going to swallow my, my pride and lay aside my wounds for the sake of the Gospel in this, and if you 're following by the way my gospel rant podcast don 't let this confuse you i 'm in the middle of a series uh, power to change to help addicts and families and friends of addicts better understand what 's happening in their brain and how the Gospel can actually benefit them, not the way you probably have been taught. but this particular podcast is a one off uh, it 's a bit of a trailer for the Gospel Rant series beginning in mid-March on the book of Hebrews, and more on that later. So here's our topic for today. What does Alabama football coach Nick Saban have in common with the book of Hebrews? <laughs> well, and how are they wildly different? And we'll go on with this special podcast as soon as we get a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. January 11th, 2024. Headline from the world of football sports. Nick Saban, the coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, the perennially dominant college football program of all time, Six national championships. He's retiring, and by the way, seven championships if you add the one he won with my alma mater, the LSU Tigers in 2003. Go Tigers! And and Nick Saban, who dashed the Tigers' hope hopes over and over and over, he's leaving Alabama for good. And it's also been announced that Bill Belichick is leaving the New England Patriots' uh, coaching gig. He had six Super Bowl wins. It's the end of a dynasty. And likely what these two coaches have accomplished will never be done again, at least in, not in my lifetime. And at the same time, even in the midst of flu, I'm studying the book of Hebrews. And like I said, I'm getting ready to do a Gospel Rant podcast series on Hebrews starting in mid-March and going through early summer. So it, it really struck me like lightning that there are wild similarities between the coaching messaging uh, and motivations taught by Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and what the author of Hebrews is trying to say and also there's major differences. And I think you're going to be surprised. Is, there, is this irreverent? I mean, maybe. I mean, you tell me. Bill at gospel-app.com. All right. I'm going to focus on Nick Saban for the most part because, first, I'm most familiar with him as a coach, and, two, both Nick and Bill seem to be cut out of the very same cloth They coached together in the Cleveland Cleveland Browns. Bill was the head coach, Nick, the defensive coordinator. They seem to have the same, let's face it, winning philosophy of coaching, the same pedigree. And that's what I want to tap into. Why were they so successful? Uh, And why, say, so many pundits, will their success never be repeated? Marcus Spears, who played for Saban at LSU, as the defensive end and on the national championship team in 2003, Go Tigers, said that the mantra of Nick Saban was that success is a continuum. Success is a continuum. He said that Saban taught him about not being satisfied, not reliving things that you accomplish. Good game, right? Because the real goal is still right in front of you, still unreached every day. You need to keep working on it. He said that while Nick and And Bill were ultimate motivators, right? They weren't just hammering you. They were teaching you how to do it. So, again, here's Spears. Can you get a guy to get up for the first quarter when the adrenaline is there and everybody's ready to play and it's a big game? Yeah. But what about the fourth quarter? Uh, He said at LSU, Saban created an off-seasons program called Fourth Quarter. It was designed to build character including everything you needed to do to be successful, not only in the football program, but to push you forward in the path of life, uh, these strategies of life. Saban was wildly good at recruiting, and he told recruits that, uh, and by the way, they had the number one recruiting class in the country over and over and over, drawing players from all over the country, including from Louisiana, go Tigers. And he said to them, don't make a four-year decision, make a 40-year decision. Christians, and that's the drumbeat. Don't be satisfied with success, with just winning the game, what the score is, what your record is. Everybody has to keep upping the level of their game. Consistency, accountability, today, just keep getting better. That was their philosophy, a winning philosophy. Another sports pundit, Lewis Riddick, who played for both the Cleveland Browns, he said that they represent a brand of coaching that probably has seen his last days. Here's what he says. Yeah, I don't think that you can communicate with players now the same way you could communicate with players in the 90s. It has to be now about the individuals. Be like, now recruits want to hear about how you can be good for me, not what I can do for your program, but what your program can do for me. It's flipped on its head. What they used to be able to do in the 90s, the way we were coached, and probably it just probably doesn't go over very well right now that has robbed the game of some of its consistency, right? It's excellence. See, I don't know if people are held to the same kind of standards or the same accountability that was enforced back then. Christians, listen. So today's football players say these two pundits are not prepared to handle accountability and being pushed to get better on a daily basis. Well, you just want to get there. We want to enjoy our success. We want immediate gratification. We want to show our, our game, you know, and, and be recognized. We want the laurels, but we don't want to be continually pushed to be better, to have our rough edges continually knocked off so we fit in with a team better, to be a, a better team player. Today, in football anyway, college football, there's easy outs. There's portals. There's NIL deals. There's the easy outs, right? You can transfer on a lark, so how do you push people to up their game when they can just leave? Here's Rennick again. It was never good enough for Bill or for Nick. Today doesn't matter. Boy, that's, that'll resonate with Hebrews. I'll, say, I'll talk about that in a minute. What are you going to do next week? I don't know if people are willing to deal with that kind of in-your-face, bottom-line, production-oriented success anymore because it was hardcore then. I had many sleepless nights during the week. For mistakes I made during practice. But that's how you win six Super Bowls, seven national championships. People want greatness, but they aren't willing to make sacrifices in order to achieve it. These two, right, Bill and Nick, were willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary in order to make it. If you weren't willing to make it, you were gone. And in hindsight, I wouldn't have it any other way. I would not have wanted to play for any other coaches. If I could have played for Bill or Nick my entire career, I would have. Although at the time, it felt like absolute torture. So here's the summary of those two coaches, uh, the winning philosophy, ongoing accountability, right? Never enough mentality. Not about the past, it's about today. Don't look at the scoreboard, look at your consistency, your play-by-play, quarter-by-quarter. Receive discipline daily that will make you better for the little things. Finish fourth quarter as strong as first quarter Don't rest on your laurels or today's score. Get ready for the next play. Get what you need to get better. Don't be comfortable. Well, you can imagine this led to frustrated players and some giving up, some feeling judged and demeaned and, you know, changing teams, retirement. But for so many, they accepted the challenge and became champions. It's about character. Uh, And now, looking back, they're very grateful. And they accomplished a great deal. So in all of that, I'm hearing echoes of the mentality of the author of the book of Hebrews. And I think, you know, I think this about churches today, too. The book of Hebrews is generally pretty ignored, and I get why. It's a difficult book. It's way too much in your face and warning us all that we're not doing as well as we think. But instead, it gives multiple strong warnings that, are, that we are unknowingly drifting away from the standard, from our game, uh, from what we were called to be and do by Jesus, right? Not losing salvation, but being in the game and, and how we're to minister to others. And the author of Hebrews says we're at risk of failing. I mean, what? Uh, yeah, I hear you. Let's study something else. That's way too heavy. And that might offend people, right? Don't, don't focus on me. And people who are coming in, they're going to feel criticized and unloved. I'm feeling uncriticized. Well, the author of Hebrews just keeps going at it. And he's challenging people, listeners, to pick it up at our peril, at the peril of our failing to accomplish the goals for which we were rescued and are called to do here on earth, to lose the rest, hold that word rest, of God. And I'm going to say more about that. Well, at a certain level, the book of Hebrews sounds way too much like Saban and Belichick for our comfort. The hearers of Hebrews, they were just obviously under duress because of their faith, at great risk, suffering. They were probably facing death, and it seems that they were afraid of death, the author of Hebrews says. They were drifting away from the game, not playing their best. Oh, uh, you know, they may have done okay in the first quarter. But now, today, the author of Hebrews says it's a whole different game, a whole different team. And I get it, they're getting smacked in the mouth. And and that can be very head clearing and you know goal changing. Something inside is looking for, you know, a plan B that's a little more tasteful, a little more comfortable. How can I be a Jesus follower and you know a little more safe, not so risky? It's very human, it's not evil. Anxiety, worry, wanting to protect yourself, stay alive, avoid persecution, distress, have comfort, secure, normal. Looking out for number one, normal. But the author of Hebrews, like a Saban or a Belichick, isn't satisfied and knows the little secret that the hearers aren't feeling God's rest like they could, or joy, or glory and honor like they could. So he's pushing them, I mean really pushing them, to keep showing up on the field with the same enthusiasm they had in the first quarter, like Saban and Belichick. He isn't just beating them up. He's teaching them how, uh, right? The Bible's fourth quarter program. So when you're reading Hebrews, don't expect just a rant about, you know, guilt trips and shame trips about rolling up your sleeve, working harder or else, or tithing more or doing more sacrifices or religious activities, praying this or that prayer more or right Study your Bibles more. All those things are good. Go ahead, do them. But the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to up their game even more so that they will experience more glory, hope, and honor. Now, and by the way, very common words in Hebrews. How? Wait, I thought we were the good guys. I thought we were on Jesus' side. Yeah? Well, here, simply put, here it is. Stop trying to do it on your own, with your own capacity your own choices, you're only going to drift more, right? And begin with the basic. The fourth quarter program begins and ends with this, an intentional obsessing over Jesus, like you did at the beginning. Hebrews 2.1, we must pay more careful attention, meaning obsess, therefore, to what we have heard. And, And he's speaking of God's last word, Jesus, so that we do not drift away. Hebrews three one, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, right? You're in. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. There it is again. Velcro your thoughts and contemplation and time on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. Hebrews three fourteen. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, meaning in Jesus. But what does Jesus's fourth quarter game look like? I mean, honestly. Well, this is a good place to get a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. Look, here's our problem. Jesus was equipped with innate desire uh, that was other-oriented. He came to die for broken, rebellious, difficult to get along with others, to rescue, glorify, and honor those people, me. And he did it over his own well-being. He was other-focused. Even those who were treating him with contempt and dishonor, that's everybody. Those who were persecuting him, betraying him, crucifying him, that was his motivation to raise them up. These were the people who followed him, the first church. I mean, is that our vision for what a church should look like? Or have we systemically begun to drift in this fourth quarter? The author of Hebrews is urging us to be like Jesus. (laughs) if you think about that, Jesus is our high priest who became like us, he'll argue, who went before us and set the path and the example. He was incarnated not for his own glory, but to save many unlikely unrighteous sons and daughters, not to earn honor for himself, but to give it. But then as a result of his success, his pouring himself out for others, both glory and honor were bestowed upon him a new name as the Redeemer high priest. That's the fourth quarter plan. How are we going to do that? Because we're not Jesus. Such other oriented sacrifices, you know, we can do it a little bit, but it's just not in our core innate motivation, our nature. Our subconscious brain, very powerful, is designed to protect ourselves, to get our own dough pits and to be acknowledged and desired and credited, Right? So our flesh, our sarks, Paul talks about, but the Hebrew speaks of it too, is noted for selfishness, self-focus. Jesus is just the opposite, noted for his other focus, and that's the nature of his spirit, not ours. So how do we step up our fourth quarter game, right, per Hebrews? We stop thinking about doing what we've been doing more and more and start accessing Jesus's other motivation through his spirit. Right? A heavenly sourced power, I mean, how can we play this fourth quarter and, and be regularly willing to love and honor others over ourselves and By the way, these are not others that are naturally we feel lovable, love towards right and, and even in the in the on the game field where our comfort 's being threatened, our health is being threatened, our reputations our lives we 're in risk. We need a heavenly-sourced power that's other-oriented, that we don't have. This is the innate DNA of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. I'll talk about that in, in the podcast series. We can't do Jesus. And forget the old mantra, DWJD, do what Jesus did. No, we can only depend more and more upon Jesus and His Spirit if we want to stop the normal, natural, predictable drifting in our game. But look what happened to Jesus. Don't expect laurels here. Uh, expect persecution. It's a dangerous thing. This, this fourth quarter, it's going to need all of us to up our game. The metaphor that's used by the author of Hebrews is that the people of God who were set free from Egypt, they were at Kadesh and ordered to enter the land of promise and the promised rest. Remember that word, the rest of God. So they sent spies, you know the story, and the spies came back and said, oh my goodness, four stars on TripAdvisor. I mean, this is great. <laughs> There's lots of, this is amazing. Look at this fruit. But they also said, you know, it's too bad. Somebody big got there before us, a bunch of bullies, and we're gonna, we would have to push them out because they're not going to give this up. And they're very well equipped. They're, they're fighters. They're giants. They're ready to defend themselves, and we can't win. And, boy, their hearts grew cold. I get it, because uh, it sounds reasonable to me that, you know, the, it doesn't look like entering God's rest. It looks like a disaster, right? And God punished them for their unbelief. And that's another theme in, in Hebrews, faith and unbelief, obedience and disobedience. So track me. I'm like them. They saw rest and imagined in a state of existence— a place where all is good, no worries, all is at peace and comfort and prosperity. But that's not God's rest. That's not Jesus' rest. We look at his life. Remember, obsessed on Jesus' life, that's not what he experienced. It's not a place, a state, uh, like a championship podium of a football championship that gives us spoils of victory here. The author of Hebrews, like Nick Saban, Sees that the rest is a continuum of upping our faith game in the fourth quarter, as we follow God's lead into very difficult circumstances and and clear persecution and and still trust Him. That's the rest of God. How? By accessing God sourced faith by asking that empowers us to follow God without fear, or at least less fear, it's a miracle. This fourth quarter rest journey that we're called to now is ongoing superhuman challenge of having to trust God beyond the trust we have in our brain every day to follow God even through, even though there are unimaginable odds. And my brain's going to go, nope, nope, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Uh, Don't say that. Don't do that. God's rest is the process of trusting and following him even though this broken rebellious earth This anti-God world is going to toss difficulties and accusations and innuendos and attacks and abuses and unfairnesses and inequalities, injustices, devastating setbacks, church breaks, church breakdowns, staff losses, all of those things. Uh, This is the path of Jesus, the sign of heaven. This is God's rest that we're charged to enter into every day that's called today, Hebrews 4. The Hebrews at Kadesh didn't. I, didn't, I don't know about the needed hearers of the, the letter of Hebrews. Did they? Don't know. What about us today? We have that same choice. Hebrews 4, one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, present tense, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, drifted away, and you don't even know you're doing it. See, I would say that few of us today wants to hear this, we want to be told that we're doing good enough. That it's, it's secure. By the way, it is secure. But the author of Hebrews says we can do more. We can step up our game. Who wants to tell an established Christian who's been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years or a church, an established church that's doing well? They're meeting their budget that they're at risk of drifting and they need to up their game today, this week. Or they risk falling short of the fourth quarter game and getting the crown of honor and glory that they would receive. Whatever that is. Right, And I'm not referring to salvation. We already have that. But it's being on this team. And I'm looking at it like Saban or Belichick or the author of Hebrews would. If you don't up your game, you're going to drift. Is that what you want? Yeah, then get out of the way. See, I might disagree with the football pundits about the younger generation. By the way, I think the younger generations, and I spent a lot of time looking at it and talking to millennials, I think they might actually flock to this. They have very high standards and even higher expectations. I think they might be drawn to this. Just a thought. So in our heads, I think we have come to expect God's rest today. Uh, Meaning, ah, we want a comfortable faith, a church community that doesn't distress us, that doesn't criticize my shortcomings regularly. I mean, I might have shortcomings, but look at that guy. Or shake up my life or require me to run to God all the time for more comfort. You know, don't tell me I'm drifting. I'm doing my best. I've paid my dues. I'd rather have a church that doesn't rock the boat, where people, you know, they feel comfortable. It's generally homogeneous. It's peaceful. It's a church that doesn't pick fights or offend or hold people accountable much. We want friendly churches. That's the mantra, even though I can't find a single verse that commands that. I can't imagine Sabin saying, okay, man, we got this. Our key is to be friendly out there. Look, from the beginning... Jesus' congregation was loaded with unfriendly people. I'm not pushing unfriendliness, by the way. That's not the alternative. But look at the followers of Jesus. Remember, obsessed on Jesus, his life, his, his teachings, who he hung out with. They were awkward. They were hard to get along with. People from disparate racial and socioeconomic demographics that never got along. The bickering was legendary. Many unclean, unrighteous, loads of unbelievers. Why, even the leaders were prone to to gaffes, and treating others very badly. And so many people left. It was too much. And then Jesus spoke about carrying a cross. What? He ate with sinners. What? He offended religious leaders. That can't be good. He embraced sex workers and Romans and lepers and dead people. I mean, it's just too much. Who's going to come follow him? Well, they did. If we don't keep stepping up our game and keep... On entering intentionally into his difficult rest, we're going to drift. Individuals, churches, denominations, countries. Hebrews speaks of the church constantly suffering, drifting. So think of an unanchored ship that's drifting into the shoals, and it's going to suffer debilitating loss and, and helplessness. It so won't be useful. So here's the motivation behind that drift: me, my brain wants to protect itself, to find success, worth, to be acknowledged. To have security, to have a legacy, to be a winner, to be recognized, desired. But the rest we are entering into is the opposite. The game is all about me dying for others. You see the conflict. So what do we do? One, admit it. I'm the problem. I better, my brain is working against the gospel My brain is self focused. The gospel is other focused, and I can't choose just to stop it. It's hardwired. It's out of reach of my frontal cortex. Two, obsess over God's final revelation, his final word, Jesus. That's the author of Hebrews, chapter one. Look intently upon him, his life, his ministry, his words, his teachings, what he did, what he didn't do, uh, how he did it, why he did it, how he died, why he died. Look at him resurrected. Look at him, our champion, see chapter 2, verse 10, who didn't succeed due to his skill, due to his moxie, during his great sermons, the way he debated people, his care for the hurting sinners, or even the, the miracles that he did. That's not how he won. He actually won the championship through a life of humiliation, a life of suffering for others, dishonor for the honor of others persecution so that others would be glorified, accepting mistreatment, injustices, and then, of course, an unfair death, all for others. On the championship podium, he was raised up by God and given a crown of glory and honor, a new name, Redeemer High Priest. And as we meditate on that, on him, the spirit inside of us, its what the author of Hebrews is implying, is going to inspire us, empower us, challenge us, coach us to up our game will change, and you'll be noticed because we'll shift from serving myself and my comfort and dying for unlikely others, even people that I don't like who are so different from me. Three, regularly ask the Spirit in our inner being to give us Jesus' faith, hope, and love. Four, tomorrow up the game. We're in God's final fourth quarter, rest every day. That's called today, Hebrews 4, and we can do it. Look, it's not about losing salvation. That's not the point of Hebrews. I'm going to say more in the Gospel Rant podcast series, right? So enough of this rant. What are your thoughts? You ready to up your game? And look, I know I'm picking fights. Some of you are going to be offended. I get that. Uh, I want to get this discussion going. Push back. Bill at gospel I want to get my game up again and to encourage others to get their games up again. We're in the fourth quarter. This upsetting Jesus is wildly needed today. We're living in a dangerous, contentious, selfish, anxious, scary time. And, and that's just it within the church. <laughs> and then there's outside the church. We're in the fourth quarter and churches are drifting. We're in a drift formation from a football standpoint. All right, here's Barring again for what Marcus Spears said about Saban's philosophy, but I'm going to put it in Hebrew speak. Here we go. Our mantra should be that our success is not an institution or an achievement or any goal or score. It's rather a continuum. Don't ever get satisfied with your spiritual performance. Don't stop to celebrate, right? Spike the ball, uh, what you accomplished because the real goal is still right in front of you. Up your game all the time. Accept discipline and accountability because you drift, I drift. It's not about what you experienced a long time ago. It's easy to get excited in the first quarter when spiritual adrenaline is there and everybody's ready to play. And it's a big game. Yeah, but recognize if you don't keep upping your game, you'll drift and you will fall short in the fourth. Keep obsessing over God's final word to you, Jesus. Your assignment is to be regularly humiliated and die for others like he did And you also, like him, will be resurrected to honor and glory. But that's in the final rest, not God's rest today. Or in Hebrew words, from Hebrews 10, 35 and following, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Well, hey, pass this on to other Christians that you know. Uh, We all need to step up our game. Just share it, right? Uh, It's easy to do. Let's get the dialogue going. Give me feedback. Bill at gospel-app.com. If you like it, you don't like it, just want to hear. Check out the Gospel Rant podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Also check out Instagram, gospel app, one word, as well. And by the way, go Tigers. Take heart, child of God.